everybody. Welcome to the HTO channel. I'm so glad you were able to spend this time with me. So um, we just welcome you. We hope you're excited to walk through this word. I pray that your week has been great. You've been blessed. You feel full. You feel the Lord's presence with you. So with that said, let's just get started. Um, go ahead and just remember to look forward to your time of study with joint expectations. Just go ahead and clear away any distractions. Uh, he says in his word, be still and know that I am God. So let's grab our Bibles, journals, pens, phones, tablets, you know what to do. And let's journey through the word of God together. And so today we're going to be looking at John chapter 15. And in my Bible, the title is Jesus, the true vine. Um, But before we do, there may be some of you under the sound of my voice that are not saved and you are not part of the kingdom. And those of you who are already saved, this just gives you an opportunity to uh, be reminded of what God has done for all of us. And so let's just read together in John 3, 16 through 18, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In John 6, 27 through 40, it reads, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Then Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you, that ye also have seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that hath sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, 
but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And so here's your invitation and day. It's based on Romans 10, 9 9 and 10. And it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Acts 2.38 Then Peter said unto them, Repent. And be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So all of you under the sound of my voice, again, if you're saved, this is just practice for you to help get someone else saved. Um, If you're not, just go through these steps. It just says here, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that he raised him, that God raised him from the dead. And it says, with your heart, you believe. And with your mouth, you make the confession. And then, as God leads you, you want to be led to your church home. You're repenting. That means you're changing. You're turning away from your former life, your former way, your way of sin. And you're turning to God. And then as a result... That symbolic representation is when you are baptized or immersed in water by someone at your local church, okay? And so it says again, it's for the remission of sins and why? So you shall receive, you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So just repeat after me, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you, Father, that you have invited me to have a seat at your table. I confess with my mouth that the Lord Jesus came to save me. And I believe in my heart, Father, that you have raised him from the dead. And because of that, I shall also be saved. Father, right now I'm believing with my heart and it's crediting me unto righteousness. God, and I'm making this confession of my salvation. Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help me to turn from my former life and turn to you. Help me to turn from the way of sin and turn towards you. And with that, lead me, Father, to my local church, my new home, Father, while I will be discipled and taught. Father, also give me the opportunity to be baptized in water. And this represents my new salvation. I'm doing this, Father, because of the remission of sins that Christ Jesus has paid the price. And because of this, as of this day, I will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So if you have made that confession, the angels are rejoicing with you and so am I. Welcome in to the body of Christ. And so with that said, let's all pray together based on 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. It says, it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he had finished, one one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught 
his disciples. So if you'll pray with me, Heavenly Father, we just thank you today. We thank you, Father, for you said that you opened their mind to understand the scriptures. So we're asking right now, Heavenly Father, to give us insight. Father, right now, all those under the sound of my voice, all of us, God, you have a unique word for us all that it's tailor-made for our life and for our situations, God. So I ask that you breathe upon us. Let Christ speak through me. So we bless your holy name today. In Christ's name, amen. And so this is just another opportunity. It says, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. So right now in your own way, uh, worshiping, you can worship with music. You can worship by just lifting up your hands, bowing down and worshiping today together. Let's just thank the Father for all that he's done. Father, we magnify you. We lift you up. We bless your holy name, God. We make you bigger than our life and we make you bigger than our circumstances Father, we just thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. You have exalted him and he's seated at the right hand. Father, he has went beyond the veil, God, and he has reconciled us back unto you. So we worship you. You are worthy of all worship. You are worthy of all honor. You are worthy of all praise. Be glorified today. Be magnified in our lives for it is in Christ's name. We worship you. Come on right now. Just worship the Father. Worship the Father in spirit of in truth. Worship the Father. Worship the Father in spirit and truth. Father, receive our worship today in Christ. Amen. And so we're just going to jump straight in today. Uh, we begin, you can find this at biblehub.com. And we're going to start with, we're going to actually step back for a moment into chapter 14, but we will focus on John 15, where it will talk about Jesus being the true vine, that there is no greater love, the hatred of the world. And again, all of this is retrieved from biblehub.com. But before we do, we're going to stop, step back in to get context. And then on your own time, read through John chapter four, read through John 15, read through John 16. So you can see the full letter. Um, if we are reminded that chapters and verses, uh, came along, uh, over time after the Bible was developed. So we're going to start verse 23. It says, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. Now I'm reading from the King James. When you see ye right here, that is plural. That's old English, um, uh, early modern English, and it's plural for you. So it's almost like saying you all, the word which you all hear is not mine. So anytime you see ye, think of you all. It's saying you, but more than one you. All right, so let's continue. Verse 25, these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, 
whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, if ye loved me, ye would rejoice because I said, I go unto the Father. For my Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye or you all might believe. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let's, let us go hence. So this is leading up until the time where, you know, he's going to be met with Judas and, and the chief priests and the, the temple police to arrest him. So that will take us to John chapter 15. So verses one through four, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth, that it might bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye, you all, abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I, I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and, I, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that ye love one another, if the world hate you, 
ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they've persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. So that will end our reading for John chapter 15. So now that we've read John chapter 15, we're going to go ahead and engage with the Holy Word of God. Remember, he said that my word is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. So before we get started, I'm just going to take you through a process to help you in your personal time. A lot of times we find ourselves just reading. We just read, but a lot of times we just read and we forget to, it says to meditate, to chew on, to go over. So here's this process that I'm going to share with you so that when you're reading on your own, you follow that same guideline that you read the entire chapter just to get an idea of what's going on. And then as you go back and read the verses, you will engage and meditate and chew and think on what you just read. So it says, reading for a revelation of truth, comprehension, and biblical understanding. Before beginning, we already did that. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you into all truth. So this is what you do. Read the verse. Then after you've read it, check for understanding. Do you even, do you understand what you've read? And then uh, when you, if you don't understand it, allow the Bible to interpret the Bible. Find and compare additional verses or cross-references. It says in 2 Timothy 2.15 that we rightly divide the word of truth. So I love Bible apps. I use them all the time. It really just depends on what you are doing. But you really want, sometimes it's good to have that physical Bible. Um, And you really want a Bible or a Bible app where you can have cross-references. And you'll see me use one called BibleHub.com and Blue Letter Bible. They're pretty good for cross-references or you can find an app for your phone. But cross-references will help bring revelation. It will help you also see the whole counsel of God to see what he sees in balance. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He's reminded me when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, the devil was giving him scriptures. 
But Jesus had to come back and say, but it is also written. So that's what I'm saying here, that when we read, we go find other scriptures that say, but is also written so that we get the full balance of what he's trying to say. Okay. So, and, and again, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, shall every word be established. So I take this, even apply this to scripture. Um, that, you know, sometimes I try to find an Old Testament verse or sometimes that's not possible, but uh, New Testament verses. I want to try to get at least two of them if possible. So that's what you should try to do. Um, define unknown words based on the original language and context. So if you just look up something on dictionary.com, those are good. And sometimes I use that. Or even if you find synonyms, that's okay. But if you want to know exactly the context of how a specific word was used, it's best to go back to the original language. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Scholars say that the New Testament was written first in Greek. So those are the two languages you want to go back and look at. And so number five, you want to check to see after you've done that, you check cross references, you looked at words, um, see if you have additional questions. Okay. And then that's when you would use a commentary. Now you want to be spiritually led when you're, you're looking at commentaries. I mean, because there's some that are out there that you're like, okay, right. What in the world? So be led on that. I have a few, um, I like, I've seen, I haven't seen anything in balance. I like the life application commentary, but it's based on the new Testament. Um, only the one that I have. And then there are a few, you can find again, Bible hub, um, blue letter Bible, uh, I believe also has commentaries. And I think Bible gateway, you can get commentaries if, but I think you have to have a subscription. I'm not sure. So you've done all that. And then you want to go ahead and you want to reread the verse after you've done all that and say, okay, now, Holy Spirit, now do I understand? And then if you still don't understand, go ahead and jot your question down in a journal and then just wait for revelation and you will see that God will bring that answer to you. So then after reading the verse, if the verse is ministering to you, stop and listen for what the scripture is saying to you. And then if you're led by the Holy Spirit, stop and, and pray the verse specifically for your life. You know, you read something like, um, let's say you're reading first Corinthians 13 and it says, love is not rude. Love is patient. Love is kind. And then you stop and you say, father, I recognize that I am not here. I am not at the standard that you are, are hoping for me to be. Lord, help me not to be rude. Help me to be kind. Help me to be patient and long suffering. Right? So you see, I'm just, I'm taking that word. I'm not just reading it and skimming over it and checking it off as, oh, you know, this is part of my one year Bible plan, but I'm actually allowing that the word like the Holy Spirit, thank you. It says the sower sows the word right? It takes root in him. The ones that are cast aside are the ones where the seed falls on rocky ground and among thorns, right? So we don't want that to happen. So that's why we go through this process. And then if needed, write down a revelation, write down a personal application for that scripture, write down, you can reword the scripture in your journal so that it makes sense to you. So those are the eight steps that I'm show, I've showed with you or shared with you, sorry, to engage God's word. So if you look on the screen, we have a vine and we have fruit. 
And remember the title of our chapter is Jesus Christ, the true vine. So we're going to read and then we're just we're going to go through that process. Read, look at commentaries, look at cross references, question. Okay, so verses one through four, if you don't have your journal right now, go ahead, get your journal out, get maybe two Bibles, one that you can um, flip back and forth in and one where you can keep right at John chapter 15 or use a tablet or just look on the screen. So number one, verse one, I'm the true vine. And where you see me highlighting, go ahead. This is you're doing Bible study with me. Highlight exactly what I've highlighted and highlight whatever you're led to highlight. So everything in yellow, stop if you need to go ahead and highlight. All right. Verse one, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth that it might, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word, which I've spoken unto you abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. So let's just look at the things we've highlighted. We know that he's the true vine. You can even put a number one above any of these, like number true, true vine, number one. Number two, husbandman. You know, the, another word for that is vine dresser. The one who tends to the vine, the one who prunes cut and cuts back. So it will bring forth. So like if you are someone like I do, um, I like my house plants. Sometimes I walk by it and I take away those things that, you know, those leaves that are dying because I don't want it to take away from the general plant. And then the same thing, the father is what it's saying here that whoever, every branch, because it says we're the branches. He said, who beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And then the ones that do, he purges so that it can bring forth more fruit. So that you think of, of sanctification there, that there are some things that God wants to remove from our lives so that we can bear more fruit. Now we will develop that idea of bearing the fruit that he takes away. The branches that are in him, they're saying that he's saying that those branches that don't bear fruit, the father himself will take away. And so Jesus is saying to the disciples, now you are clean through the word. And then he gives them the, the same instructions he's given to us today. Abide in him and he will abide in us. And then he's saying that you have to abide in the vine. And you can't, there's nothing. It says as the branch cannot bear fruit, we can't bear any fruit in our lives except we abide in Christ. I like one translation. I think it's called the scriptures translation. And it says to stay, to stay in Christ. So here we go. We're going to look at, um, break this down. In verse one, Jesus is stating that he is the true vine. In other words, he is genuine and he can be counted on. The husbandman is another term for vine dresser. Verse two, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. I saw a translation today and I thought, oh my word, how did they change that up? Because it says the branch is taken away. Okay. We don't add to the word. We don't take away from it. And it says again, it, the branches that don't bear fruit, 
he takes away. The ones that he does, he takes them through a sanctification process by the power of the Holy Spirit so that they can bear more fruit. So here's the process I was talking about. Let's look at some cross references. Now, when you see CF in your Bible, that's Latin, which means to confer or in other words, to compare. So we're going to look at these verses and compare them with like what Christ said to the enemy, but it is also written, right? So Matthew 15, 13, but he answered and said, every plant, which my heavenly father hath not planted shall be rooted up. And so you can read Matthew 15 to get the full con- context. Um, there's a verse that talks about the wheat and the tares. I have a video on that that will grow up together until the reapers come at the end times. So this is not something that we take out and just play with. He is talking about our eternity, our eternal life. Verse 12, whose fan, Matthew 3 and 12, whose fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So that is, I can't add any more to that. He's talking about the end, the end times. So let's go on. Let's another verse. And when you see KJV, BRG, I have a translation let me change this for you real quick. I have a translation that says, uh, I think it's blue, red, green, so that certain things are highlighted in blue, certain things are highlighted in red, and certain things are highlighted in green. Um, this is from the KJV Bible. So verse nine, the righteous shall also shall hold on his way, and he that have clean hands shall be stronger and stronger. So that's a reference to those who bear, who he purges so that they can bear even more fruit. That as we go through the process, walk with the Holy Spirit, that we become stronger and stronger. So verse four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. So here's a note that I wrote. The phrase, except ye, remember, except, in other words, you all, represents a conditional statement. We have a choice to remain. And when we keep on choosing to remain, we keep receiving the power from the Holy Spirit to abide in Christ. Only those who remain in Christ can truly accomplish anything worth eternal value. So again, we're just like Adam and Eve in the garden. We always have a choice every day. It says, except you all, except ye abide in me. You can't bear anything, anything worth any value. I can't bear anything worth anything any value unless I abide in Christ. Now, thank you, Holy Spirit. There are a lot of people, if you look around the world, they're doing a whole lot of stuff and it looks great. It looks successful. You know, building companies, doing everything, doing the most as they would say. But are those things going to count for anything eternally when you are not abiding in Christ? Okay, and so here's a text coming your way. You'll see me send that out. And really, it's just an opportunity for me to say, hey, think about this. This is what we were talking about in those eight steps, some questioning. 
Evaluate for yourself if you are abiding in Christ. What does that look like? Are you staying in Christ every day when you wake up? Are you staying in Christ? Is he your focus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? And starting today, if your answer is no, there is no condemnation, especially if those of you who are just now saved as of this video, starting today, just how can you spend more time with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit? So it's no condemnation. We just get up and we just do better than the day before. So we continue five through eight. I am the vine, ye the branches, he that stays or abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit for without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. And so if you look at, look here, we have abideth here. And remember, highlight what I've highlighted. We have abideth here. We have abide here again. We have abide here for the third time. We have abide here for the fourth time, right? And so he's making, he's emphasizing stay, stay, stay. And again, that implies that we have a choice. If you have a choice to stay, you have a choice not to stay. And then he's saying again, you will bring forth much fruit and you can't do it without me. And then he's saying, here's the choice right here, right? That tells us a choice if a man. So he's talking to the disciples, but he's talking to us. If a man chooses not to abide in me, he's cast forth as a branch. We've already seen that. And it's withered. And here's that reference again to fire. And they are burned. These are words that are serious. Okay. And then it says, if ye abide in me. And then let me pause for a minute. This did not go away because Christ died on the cross. And this doesn't apply to us. That no longer do we have to heed to this, his words. His words are eternal right? His words are eternal. So it says, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you. So again, there's a question. There's a conditional statement. If you stay in him, if your word, his words abide in you, then, so what we have is, you know, we have people, if you don't open the word and you don't fellowship with the spirit of God, when you open the Bible, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Here it is. And the word was God. So you can't, um, dibble dabble and not be committed to reading his holy word. I hear people say, you know, that's ritualistic. And also what you see, what you sow, you'll reap. You sow two or three minutes in a devotional. That's the number of words. That's the number of fruit that you will reap out of your life. Right. And then it says, this is the condition here. It is if, and then it says, then ye, I don't have to see a then, but a then is implied. Ye shall ask what you will, or you all shall ask what you all will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my father glorified that you all bear much fruit. So you all will be my disciples. 
And so I just wanted to share with you a lot of times I need like a graphic or something visual to just kind of show, show me that verse. And so the, the, the actual choice is clear. One who abides and one who does not abide. The one who abides brings forth fruit, much fruit. The one who does not is cast forth as a branch withered and cast into the fire and burned. Okay. There's, there's just, I don't need to keep adding to that. Okay. So let's highlight this verse five. I hope you got all of the uh, highlights. And if not, you can rewind and go back to that. Uh, so you can highlight, but here highlight abideth, highlight bringeth forth much fruit for without me, ye can do nothing. Okay. So again, we're going to stop for a minute and look at we look, those eight steps. We are going to look at uh, a definition to kind of, you know, just help us bring it all together. We saw abide so many times. So we're going to go to blueletterbible.org and we're going to look at the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. So I've already went up here and I've typed in abide and, you know, hit the dictionary and this is what has shown up. Okay. You would actually go up here to do it. Type in abide if you want to try and practice. But if you look at here, look here, it says to remain, to await, to remain, to lodge, to sojourn, to dwell, to continue, to endure, right? That tells me right there how the richness that that word actually has. And it says we are to endure. We are to lodge. We are to sojourn. So again, that's Christ saying, abide in him and abide in, let his words abide in us. So let's go back. So as we move along, hopefully you got all that. Again, that's definition of abide, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. Now let's look at the, uh, look at another definition, continue on blue letter Bible. This is what I said when I said, go back to the original languages. So all you do is you come up here where it says verse or words, you type in the scripture or the word. And again, it tells you right here, um, we have, this is the word abide. And then if you look at the top on blue letter Bible, they give you what it looks like. It's called the transliteration. Okay, what it would look like in Greek, because we're in the New Testament. M-E-N-O is the transliteration. If you type here, hit here. Strong's G-3306, Meno, Meno. Right, so it pronounces it for you. Meno, and G-3306 just means G for Greek, and the Strong's exhaustive concordance that's what the de that's how it's de defined and listed. When you look here, I won't go into this, but this is called the Textus Receptus. That's Latin for the received text, and that's what the King James version of the Bible is based on. And it's saying this particular word abide occurs 120 times in 32 unique forms. And so those unique forms are right here. Okay, the different um, unique forms. I could hit show all, but I won't. And then if we look, it has the Vines Expository Dictionary. And so if we scroll here, it'll show us another way, definitions of abide. And then it says here, um, it can mean continue. 
And so we just continue on down. We look at this, we can see it in context, and then, you know, you can go in as deep in as you want to with that. Okay. Again, it's giving us to abide, to endure and all of that. And so you can do, go through this however you want to. It says remain, same thing. So we're going to exit out for time. And here it just shows you how it's used in the Bible. Just like any other word, like in English, we have multiple definitions depending upon how it is used. But here it would say, see, it would apply here in reference to state or condition to remain as one, not to become another or different. So that applies to us. That's what he's saying when he's saying abide your condition, your spiritual condition, remain one with me. Don't become different. Don't become another. So that tells you, shows you how when we look up words, it just adds richness to the text. So we're going to look at a little research. Remember those eight steps? We looked at it. We read it. We considered it. We're questioning it. We've highlighted. We're engaging. Now, when we want to research, we look into or led to find other commentaries that might help us. So verse six, this is from the Faith Life Study Bible. It says into the fire, Jesus is referring to those who choose not to accept him as savior. The dead branches are people who are useless to God's work. People like Judas who chose to reject Jesus when faced with the truth. So that's a great example because Judas had, he was right with the other 11, but he made a choice not to remain not to remain. That's why Jesus said, he who dips his bread with me in this cup, is he's the one that's going to betray me. And that's why we get these different terms for people who were once Christians who have left the faith. So remaining is a choice. It is a choice. And so the word is encouraging all of us to make the right choice. So here's another supplemental commentary. And this is in older English and it's from Poole, P-O-O-L. I think he also might be on Bible Hub, but it says, um, he lists the verse. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Here, our Lord expounds what he meaneth by that abiding in him, which he before mentioned by another phrase, and my words abide in you. So it's both abiding Christ and his words, my precepts and promises. So if you by faith embrace the promises and by obedience, live up to the precepts, which I've given you for without these, though the words of Christ may come unto men in the preaching of the gospel, like you're hearing now, their ears may receive. What does that say here? Let me just stop and just look at that. It says their ears may receive the sound of them, yet the word doth not dwell. Or in other words, the word doesn't pierce them and abide in the soul. But if the word abides in the souls of men and women, then they may in prayer ask of God what they will, 
keeping to the conditions and limitations elsewhere required in the Holy Writ or Holy Bible, according to God's will. And you can look up 1 John 5, 14. In other words, we need to believe when we pray. Matthew 21, 22, pray in the name of Jesus Christ. John 14, 13 and 14, for the honor. Well, what are we asking for? Are we asking it for those things, for the honor and for the glory of God? to which end all our actions must be directed and they shall be granted to them. Okay, so that's how a commentary will add unto us. Let's continue. Verse seven, if ye abide in me again and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will and should be done in you. Revelation. This is a revelation um, that I received while studying. When we remain in Christ and his saints remain, his saints remain in us, we will ask according to his will. So when you're reading the Bible and you become, um, I love, I heard Pastor Robert Morris and it was so good. He talked about, uh, we partake in the divine nature. So in other words, Christ is in us. And so when we're asking certain things that we pray for, we, with him being in us and his words abiding in us, we're going to ask for, you know, we're not perfect, but more often than not, you're going to ask for things that won't be out of his will and that we can believe and have faith that those things will be done for us. So let's look at a cross reference. And it says here for, for verse seven, and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the father may be glorified in the son. So he gives us a reason again. I'm going to do it. When you ask it, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it for the father's glory. Right. And then that's John 14, 13, John 16, 23. And in that day, ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the father in my name, he will give it to you. He will give it to you. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, he's not going to do this and he's not going to do that. Oh, okay. We'll see. Let's just keep going. So I'm going to share with you my view because I wanted to show you a different um, a, a, a verse that will also shed light. And it's found in Psalm 37, 4. It says, delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. So when I read this long time ago, I used to think, you know, one way, but now I see the scripture twofold. So think about this. He shall give thee so in other words, sometimes when I think of this scripture, I think of him, him literally putting his desires in me so that when I pray, I'm praying his desires that he's already placed in me. Now, another way that I see that is that I have my own desires. I have these personal desires of my own. You know, I may, because I believe God is a good, good father. I, there are times in my life where even minuscule things, I could say, God, you know, I, you know, I really want a new table. <laughs> and lo and behold, not everything. There are some things in his timing that he's, you know, I just look up and somehow I get a new table. He gives me the means. He gives me the funds because he wants to give us good things. He wants to care for us. He delights in taking care of us. So let's go back so we can stay on track. When you see this smiley face, that means we're going to just take a minute and we're going to just look at some additional scriptures outside of what's actually displayed. So verse eight, he says, herein is my father glorified 
that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Don't make the mistake I do do at times. You know, sometimes I just want to read right through it. But that punctuation is there for a reason. It gives us understanding. Because when I see right here, glorified, he's saying, this is why, or herein, this is why my father is glorified, comma. We pause for a minute. And then he answers it. Why is he glorified? He's, how is he glorified that, that we bear, that you all bear much fruit. And then he says, semicolon, right? The result is that you shall be my disciples. So he's given us a definition for being a disciple. A disciple is not just someone who makes a confession. It is someone who bears fruit. It is someone who glorifies the father. It is someone who abides in Christ. It is someone where his words, his sayings abide in that individual. So let's look at the a commentary for added richness, added understanding. Let us seek to live more simply on the fullness of Christ and to grow more fruitful in every good word and work. So may our joy in him and in his salvation be full. That's Matthew Henry's concise commentary based on, um, well, it said John 15, one. So what are we saying here? You know, there are a lot of fruits in the Bible. So ask the Holy spirit to reveal it to you. You know, some people say, well, the fruit of the spirit is love, peace, joy, kindness. You know, I believe that the fruit goes even beyond that. You know, it's not just your character traits, although it includes that. But as Matthew Henry said, it's also in the works the works that we do, not for salvation, but the works that we do that we glorify the Father, the fruit that we bear, that we glorify the Father. Why? Because we want to be his disciples, his true disciples. So glorified, we saw that word. So we hear that all the time. You know, I know me growing up or uh, learning in the church, I'd say the word and wouldn't have a clue of what that meant. So let's just look at it. Glorified that my father may be glorified. So what does that mean? Here it is in the Greek. It is a verb. It means doxadzo. And it says, no, I'm saying not mean. The phonetic spelling is D-O-X-A-D-Z-O. And then it says to render or esteem glorious, to honor, to bestow glory on. So when we glorify the father, we are honoring the father. And then we have this cognate, the cognate or where that word is from is D-O-K-S-A-Z-O. It also is from 1391. This word is 1392. It also comes from doxa, glory, glory, which makes sense. Glorified comes from the word glory. And then it says properly to ascribe weight. Come on, stop it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Properly to ascribe weight. How? By recognizing real substance or value. Glorifying God means valuing him for who he really is. For example, giving glory to God personally, personally acknowledges God in his true character or essence. Come on. Right. And that you'll find this help word studies on Biblehub.com as you get used to looking at the words, looking at the words right there. Usually in the middle, it'll say helps 
word studies. And it is very, it's been very helpful to me. So again, let's go pop back out for a minute and let's look at this definition on um, Blue Letter Bible. So I just click on my screen, you go to blueletterbible.org here. And then again, we have the transliteration. What does that mean? That just means they take one language and they find letters in our language that convey the same word. So it's M-A-T-H-E-T-E-S. We want to pronounce it. We hear it here. Strong's G, 3101, Mathe Tace. That one's a challenge. Mathe is how we would say it. Mathe Tace. So it is a noun. We're looking at the word disciple. It is in the Textus Receptus, the received text. 269 times and 11 different forms. Forms just means, you know, here it's a noun, here it's a noun, here it's a noun. You know, my my specialty is not uh, uh, English. So when they start talking about noun, genitive, singular, masculine, mm, to a point, I you know, I get that. But my, my goal here is just to show you the different forms and how it was used. Again, that's in the Texas Receptus. If you have a different translation, if you're not looking at the King James Version, version, more than likely that might not be the case. So we can look at the Vines Expository Dictionary here, and it says it's a learner. That's what we're doing. Okay. It's from this word and it means to learn. It's a, and it comes, the word here, D-I-D-A-S-K-A-L-O-S is a teacher. And so it denotes a disciple is a one who follows one's teaching. So let me say that again. A disciple is one who follows one's teaching, right? And then it says of all who manifest that they are his disciples. How? By abiding in his word. A disciple was not only a pupil, but an adherent. Hence, they are spoken of as imitators of their teacher. I don't know how, how much more can we can go in on, on that. How is it used? We're an adherence to the teaching. We study, we learn, we learn from the teacher. I'm reminded by the Holy Spirit when uh, Mary Magdalene saw him at the tomb, the first thing she said was Rabboni or Rabbi. She recognized him as her great teacher. So you can spend time on this. I won't go for sake of time. We're just going to continue on. And I hope you're hanging, hanging in there. Pause the video if you need to, if you need to, if you need some extra time. So we're going to go through nine verse, verses nine through 12. As the father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. So let me stop. Go ahead, pause the video, and let's just go ahead and highlight these different uh, words. We have loved, loved here again, love here again, if is a condition. Again, if ye keep my commandments, love kept my father's commandment, love here again, my joy, your joy might be full, love and love. So here we go. As the father hath loved me, so have I loved you and I and continue ye. Well, let me see how I did that. I went right on past that colon. So let me start. Start again. As the father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Then he gives us an instruction. That's why the colon is there. Continue ye in my love. 
Then there's a condition, right? He's saying, keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Even as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I've loved you. See, so right there, the, the father's reminded me, you know, this whole theory, oh, we don't have any commandments to keep, blah, blah, blah. Okay, really? He even, he says, so if, you, if we apply that, that thinking that, oh, there's no commandments that we have to keep at all. There aren't any commandments we have to keep, right? So then that means when he tells us to love, well, I don't have to keep that commandment then. That doesn't make sense. Okay. We have to be led by the Holy Spirit to be able to go through the entire 66 books to know which commandments apply, applied then and some, and the ones that still apply. So let's continue. So we have loved, loved, love. We have the conditional statement. We have love again. Then we have the instruction. Keep the commandment. He tells us what the commandment is. Love one another as I've loved you. He tells us again, see how many times, look at this again, abide again, abide. So earlier he said, abide in me. And then he said, abide in my words. And now he's saying, abide in my love. And then he says, this is, this is why I'm telling you these things. Cause I want you to have joy. I want my joy to be, to stay, to stay in you. Why? So that your joy will be full. And then he says again, love one another and don't do it the way you want to do it. Do it the way I want you to do it. How do I want you to do it? As I have loved you. Right? So we can see here that God, he's in control. He's the one on the throne. We can't do it the way we want to do this. So let's think about this phrase. If, if ye keep my commandments. So I want you on your own time to read Romans 7. I'm just going to pop through Romans 7 and show you a few verses. And this is Paul when he's writing his letter. And verse 7, he says, well, this is that chapter when he says, the thing I want to do, I don't do. And the thing that I shouldn't do, that I do. Who shall deliver me this, of, from this body of death? So verse 7, he says, what then shall we say? Is the law sin? certainly not. That's what Paul said. When we quote Paul and we say, oh, you know, no. Paul said we weren't under the law. You have to, we have to understand which law is Paul saying we're not under. Cause he says, is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed. I would not have been mindful of sin if not for the law. So what he's saying there is that if there was no law to tell me, Hey, um, don't, uh, strike your neighbor. If there wasn't a law to tell me that, I wouldn't know that it was sin. And then he says, for I would not have been aware of coveting if the law had not said, do not covet. So then look at verse 12. So then, so he goes through all this conversation. Then verse 12, he says, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. So again, for us in the context of this chapter, we, Jesus tells us a commandment that we love one another and that we do it the way he has loved us. And what we combine that with Paul, we know that that commandment is holy, it's righteous, and it's good. 
And then Paul, see how he uses a law in interchangeably, right? He's saying, but I see another law. Now he ain't talking about the law of the Bible, the 66 or whatever we find in, in God's word. He said, I see another law. So there's, there's, in other words, there's this thing that goes on in our body. And he says that it wars, it wars against, it's warring against the law of my mind and holding me captive to the law of sin that dwells within me. That's why he's saying the thing I want to do, I don't do. And the thing I shouldn't do that I do. And there's a war and that's for all of us. There's a war. And he's saying that that law that works in his body, the law of sin, come on. Thank you. Holy spirit. There's the laws that, that Christ has given us. And we can call this the law of love, but in our bodies, because of the first Adam, we have the law of sin. That's that Adam man that tries to tell us that tries to resurrect himself and take control of the spirit of that's on the inside of us. That's been born again. And he's saying that law, they wrestle. And then Paul goes on and here it is. This is where we want to emphasize verse 24, 25 of Romans seven. What a wretched man I am. That's what Paul is saying about himself. And then he says, who will rescue me from this body of death? The death as in not physical death, but rescue me from this law of sin that just kind of wants to take over my life. And he's saying, then he gives us the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's who's going to help Paul, that who helped Paul, and that's who's going to help us. Because the fact remains, we have a law. We have that first Adam that tries to come up. But the last Adam says that I have given you power so that you are not a slave. Like Paul said, verse 25, Jesus Christ through him and his power I can walk and do the things that he would have me to do. Now, the days that I don't, the moments that I don't, he has a verse. He says, first John one and nine, that you will confess your sins, that I will cleanse you. If you will confess your sins, he's, he's just enough to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that doesn't excuse us from loving one another and doing it in the way that he causes us to do it. So I hope that helps you. Why did we go through that? Because where it says keep, you know, everybody's, uh, you know, you can't keep his commandments with the power of God and the Holy Spirit working in you. We can do better than we did the day before that. If we're walking through sanctification and allowing him to rule our lives, we can do better than the day before. And when we miss the mark, we get back up, up, a just man falls seven times, gets back up. Think about the prodigal son and we don't take it for granted. We ask the father, we acknowledge it. And then we get back up. His blood cleanses us and we go along on our little merry little way. Okay. So that's what we're highlighting. Highlight if you have not yet, keep my commandments, abide in the, in the love, and ha- do it how has, has Jesus has kept the commandments and abide in his love. Now we're going to do it perfectly. We can't do it like Jesus, but we have Jesus on the inside. We have Jesus who paid for our sins, right? So it's almost as if we are keeping the commandments, even though we make mistakes and fall short. So I hope that 
gives you and brings balance. So let's get a commentary here so we can get some additional think, uh, ad reinforce our learning of that verse. Now, this is verse 10. It says, the servant is not greater than his master. If Christ had to obey the commands of the father, so do we. And just as he remained in the father's love, so it is with us. Abiding in Christ's love in this verse may be interpreted as before, either actively, you shall continue your love to me according to what we had, John 14, 15, obedience to the commandments of Christ being the only way to show and declare the truth of our love to Christ or else passively you shall keep yourselves in my favor. I will love you. Thus, I abide in my father's love. I do not show love to my father by my words and expressions only, nor by performance of some ceremonial ritual services. So that's where the differences are. We don't, we don't have ceremonial ritual services. We don't have to worry about two types of materials that we're wearing in our clothes. But we look at that last commandment that we just saw, look to love one another. And it says, which he hath required, but by fulfilling his whole will and counsel, by yielding in an obedience to him in all things, I love you as my father loveth me. And you must abide in my love by the same ways and means that I abide in my father's love. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. Okay. So there's an enabling, right? That God gives us. And because as Pastor Morris even said, we're divinely, we have partake, we are partakers of the divine nature, but we're still human, like we saw with Paul. And so we're going to make mistakes and we're not going to follow it uh, perfectly, but we are expected to head and aim towards that mark. We are expected, uh, expected to have a desire to fulfill his law, to his laws, to love, you know, the two greatest commandments, love the Lord, thy heart, God, with all the heart, the soul, the mind, and the strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. These two hang all the law and all the prophets, right? So let's just keep that in mind. So again, keeping, keeping is, comes from the G, uh, Greek entry strongs 5083 transliteration T-E-R-O-S. That means to guard, to properly maintain, to spiritually guard. That's what Paul was talking about. You know, the law sent in my body and then I want to do right, but I can't do right. It says successfully presenting at the end what was guarded, active and strenuous care to preserve, not merely watching over, which ensures the final state of safekeeping, the guarding eye. The guarding eye is also used for the duty of all believers to carry through what the Lord births in them through faith, to keep it, to keep on keeping on. Okay. And that's from the discovery Bible. So we're going to look at verse 11 and we're going to look at, um, just, just a revelation that I had. And if you want to jot this down, sometimes in life, we face things that are challenging. We just saw that with Paul. If we are not careful, we can allow those things to steal our joy. Because remember Paul said, who shall deliver me? And he says, thanks be it to God through Jesus Christ. So we have to revoke the enemy's permission to cause us to live in oppression and depression. 
Christ said that his joy will remain in us. He intends that our joy is full. So that was my personal revelation, if you want to write that down or not. Now, the research for this is also from Adam Clark, and it says, these things have I spoken on you that my joy might remain in you. So focus in on that. Because he says, my joy is in you. Why? So that your joy might be full. That joy, that, that the joy which now I feel on account of your steady, affectionate attachment to me, that's Christ, may be lasting. I give you both warnings and directions that ye abide, may abide in the faith. So let's look at this other phrase, that your joy might be full or complete. Here's the word in Greek, filled up. It's a metaphor taken from a vessel into which water or any other thing is poured till it is full to the brim. The religion of Christ expels all misery from the hearts of those who receive it in its fullness. It was to drive wretchedness out of the world that Jesus came into it. So Christ is saying, I want your joy to be filled up to the full and to the brim and see how that research will just help us mosey along. Again, that's from Adam Clark, the discovery Bible. So let's look at the revelation for verse 12. It says, this is my commandment that ye love one another as how I have loved you. Here's another revelation I'm sharing with you. Frequently as Christians, We confuse love with emotions or feelings. So let me stop. I do believe love, um, the byproduct of true love can be emotions or feelings. When you have true love between a husband and wife, there are some emotions and feelings that come with it. To love someone according to Christ is not optional and independent of how we feel. We sometimes make it optional, but in truth, it is not. We sometimes forget that God is love. To choose not to love is ungodly. Okay, so I wanted to share this. I got this off of Pinterest. And so there are four, I've seen up to even eight times types of love, but we won't go into that. And so we have storage, S-T-O-R-G-E. I think that's pronounced a different way, but it's a family type of love. And then we have Eros, which is passion, that type of love. And then we have, and that occurs in a, in a dating relationship. Storage is in family relationships. And then we have Philia, which is a friendship type of love. When we think of like Paul and Jonathan, I'm sorry, not Paul and Jonathan, David and Jonathan, um, Paul and Timothy, right? And then we have Agape which is the highest form of love. That's what God has for us. And so that's what we are striving for. That is the type of love that God is trying to develop in us. That unconditional love that is not based on emotions, not based on feelings. And I love this photo up here because it just amazes me. Even if, you know, we can watch a lot of National Geographic in our house. And sometimes when I just look up and I see 
how a, a bird or a bear, the type of care that they give to their cubs and the love, it, it just is amazing to me. You know, which proves and refutes to me when people talk about evolution, because when you speak, think of evolution, you're thinking about physical things. But what about the intangible things? So a big bash did not create the feeling of love. So we know that there was a higher being, him, his name being the father, being Yehovah, being God, Lord. He is the one who is the author of love. He is the one who is love. So since he is the one who is love, we have to look at him to know how to define it. So it's based in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is dis displayed a lot in a lot of ways through the Bible. But if you just want to know a working definition of what love means as far as God is concerned, we're going to look at it in the New English translation. That is the Net Bible. It says, love is patient. So let me just go ahead. Uh, let's go here. Let's see if we can. Let's just highlight some of these. So love is patient. Love is kind. And then it tells, talks about what it's not. It's not envious. It does not brag. It's not puffed up or arrogant. It's not rude. So I love how he's defining it in the negation, showing you what it's not. So all you have to think about is what's the opposite of rude? Well, being kind. And, you know, I'm taking a pivot here and I'm guilty of it too. So I'm not even going to, you know, act like I'm outside of it. But the worst things we can do as Christians is sometimes, like Paul said, we, it gets the best of us and we're rude, but we don't want to have a lifestyle of that. And when the Holy Spirit, per, you know, prods us, we want to get that together. And then it says self-serving. You know, we have a lot of that, you know, now, um, easily angered, you know, just getting upset at the slightest little thing. And you have to look and see where your shortcomings are. I know where mine are. When I look at this list, resentful, you know, just, you just hold resent, resentment and bitterness. And then it's not glad about injustice. It rejoices in the truth The it is love. And then this one's rough. I mean, this one can be difficult right here. This bearing all things. <laughs> the believing all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. And then it never ends. Now check this out. This is how God told us earlier. He said, love each other the way I have loved you. And so he's saying, I do all these things for you. I'm patient. I'm kind to you. I'm not envious of you. Um, I don't brag on myself. God is saying, he's, he's saying, I'm not puffed up. I'm not rude towards you. I'm not self-serving towards you. I'm not easily angered when you do things wrong. I'm not resentful of you. I, I want justice in your life. I want truth in your life. I bear all the things you do. I bear all the, uh, the things that I believe, uh, that I want the best for you. I hope the best for you. I endure things for you. And he's saying, do these same things for each other, right? Not easy, easier, easier said than done, but it doesn't change that that's the requirement. So we know what love is. And then he says, but if there are prophecies, they will be set aside. And if there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be set aside. 
And then if you were to continue that chapter, it says, but these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Okay. So for sake of time, we are going to stop here. And so if you want to continue on, you would check out my, the second part to this video. So we will start when we pick back up at John chapter 15 verses 13 through 16 and finish this out. But so far, I pray you have been blessed. And in the words of one of my uh, previous leaders, he says, I came to provoke us all to change. So be blessed.